welcoming everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions of the snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere we find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter. You can shoot us an email, uh, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, Longhorn Republic, where we do our post-game live streams. We'll be live this Saturday following what we're hoping, fingers crossed, to be a win over the Baylor Bears, but you never know with this Texas football team what kind of mood we'll be in regardless of the outcome. Uh, you can catch us there on Facebook. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's going to be decidedly less snarky about the Baylor Bears, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I promised my wife I would be somewhat nice. Uh, she knows. She has realistic expectations. She knows that this is a podcast that has a, a bit of snark built in. I mean, it's right there in our our thesis, our mission statement. We, we are what we are, you know, um, in if that happens to be our opponent this week, there may be a, a, a you know a, a modicum of snark directed Baylor's way, and and who knows? Maybe they've done things in the past that would warrant that uh, level of snark directed them. But again, I'm choosing uh, the high road. So you know the I-35. I'm taking the 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 upper uh, pass through Austin and all the way up to Waco. I'm taking the high uh, road at least for the first few minutes of this podcast. He's gonna ship lap right over all of our Bryles <laughs> jokes. He's gonna ship lap. All over some Baylor basketball jokes. And we're just going to try to keep this thing civil. We'll absolutely not keep this thing civil in the slightest bit. I'll just say this. I'm going to get it right out of the way, right at the beginning, and I won't bring it up again. I think uh, all of Waco's uh, COVID problems is because the, the silos are infested with COVID. But I'll say that once, and then we'll leave it there. Chip and Joe, that's not libel. You can't sue us. This is a podcast. It's not in print. Um, so, you know, we'll just keep moving. Uh, it's all in all possible. So, uh, the Baylor bears, um, even though they still have active COVID cases are planning to play football against the Texas Longhorns on Saturday. That kick is at two 30 Baylor because of their inability to manage the COVID 19, uh, ep- we're just going to say that they, there's an epidemic at the Baylor campus. Uh, they've only played two football games. It is, I will remind you week six. They've only played two football games because they have been unable to manage COVID. They canceled one against Houston, and then they had to postpone their conference game against Oklahoma State last week. There are two games on the schedule that they've won. They beat Kansas like you're supposed to, 47-14, and then they lost to West Virginia in double overtime. So I say all that to say we don't know what Baylor is because they haven't played enough football because they can't manage to socially distance long enough to keep their players on the football field. And and they also – they – that Houston game was called because they had to put postpone or cancel the Louisiana tech game that was also canceled. So they have they give them full credit. They've canceled more games than they've played this year. And that's not in any way facetious. And then I'll just throw this out. You mentioned that they did lose to West Virginia in double overtime, which maybe it was that additional exposure of the additional overtimes, but um, it has been described by uh, folks on both sides, both in, in Morgantown and Waco as a super spreader event uh, resulting from a, a false negative um, where there probably was a Baylor player who was positive and, and not only got a bunch of his teammates and coaching staff uh, and buddies and friends and, and coworkers and pals sick, but also got the West Virginia players uh, the COVID as well. So um, we're hoping that it's been long enough with a bye week and a cancel week that Texas doesn't, you know, come home with more than a W uh, from from the Baylor Bears and, and, and bring home, you know, uh, some, some of that COVID that's uh, we've been hearing about. But uh, I'll just say this. We're going to talk about the football because we can't predict the uh, biological and uh, physical impacts of, of that. So we can only talk about what we know about. And Gerald might know a little something. So we're going to focus on the football um, side of it. And so, Gerald, where do you want to start? Do you want to start on looking at Baylor's offense, maybe versus Texas defense? Is that a good place to, uh, again, small sample size, but based on what we know where we can jump in? I think that's fair. And and before we get too far away from this, I I always I always wish that that super spreader was not a 
um, was not a, a like a, a viral a, a epidemiology term because it would also be like an incredible like kitchen gadget like the super spreader you can <laughs> spread anything on your sandwich right um, no so um, yeah we'll start we'll start with the Baylor offense averaging thirty four points per game now granted they've only played two games uh, the offense is averaging three hundred and four yards per game four point four yards per play so not a particularly great clip giving him an average of 115 rushing yards 189 passing yards uh charlie brewer is obviously their primary passer through two games is 38 of 61 for 371 yards four touchdowns two interceptions with another 19 rushes and 15 yards gained although he's really gained 75 yards but has 60 yards worth of sacks baked into that statistic uh was 15 to 23 for 142 against kansas and 23 of 38 for 229 three scores and two picks in the loss to west virginia so um up and down from Charlie Brewer, we'll say, in the first two games. I can't say first two weeks, first two games of the season. I think if I recall when we did our preview with the Our Daily Bears folks, they said that Charlie Brewer and Sam were pretty much in the same tier of quarterbacks, of caliber of, of quarterbacks. I think they said something similar to that, which Brewer, again, that stat line of 142 yards um, against a Kansas team that is, you know, very, very, very mightily struggled against the the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers um, right before that, um, you know, would tell me that I, I, I think that they are missing Denzel Mims and the ability to replace his production on the outside and Brewer kind of having that safety blanket. I think it is, it is, you do not realize as a, as a fan, how important that comfort from a quarterback knowing I have a throw it up and he'll he'll get me out of a jam guy right like that sometimes developing that is the single thing that takes a good quarterback to a great quarterback or a, a, an average quarterback to a good quarterback right I think you think back to even like a legendary Vince Young right having a tight end um, in David Thomas who you could just you know that at any point oh there's some yards I can get him he's got it like that is such an important thing and, and I don't I don't know I'm not saying that Baylor doesn't have that. They have, again, small sample size. Um, but I just don't know that that is a, that's certainly not an easy thing to replace. And what we've seen so far, it doesn't look like they necessarily have that, but I'll just say, I mean, it, it looks like Brewer. It was always before. Okay. He's not a big guy, but he tries to play sometimes physically takes a lot of hits. And so his body doesn't hold up. Well, right now they've had, like we said, a lot of weeks off. So it's not really that um, it's just purely can, if we do get the best version of Charlie Brewer on Saturday against the Texas defense, does he have the skill set to break them down? Um, and, and, you know, you saw Spencer Rattler, a player who's young and had deficiencies, um, have some struggles against Texas, right? And we talked at length about why the Texas defense probably is getting the short script from that performance in that game. And so I maybe, in my mind, if I'm the Texas defense, if I'm Chris Ash, I have something to prove against a, a Baylor offensive line that, again, you should be quite a bit better than, and a Baylor quarterback who has taken some sacks already and we know doesn't like to get hit because he just not a huge guy doesn't hold up real well with a lot of I'm I'm wanting to put licks on him and so to me I mean I just very much feel like that Charlie Brewer I think there is a chance looks more like you know the the three-star kid who Texas didn't think was big enough to even consider offering than the Charlie Brewer when he's he's had some of his best games in his career and he's played well against UT and in the weeks leading up to UT uh, I, I I kind of think that this year with their rest of their offense, that that might be what we get. I think especially with the struggles along the offensive line, giving up 60 yards worth of sacks in two games mm-hmm. against West Virginia, which West Virginia does have um, the stills, right? They do have they the do. stills. They do, they do. So a lot of that came against two of the best pass rushers in the conference. Sure. But, but still, I mean, Texas also has one of the best pass rushers in the conference in Joseph Osai, and so I think – like that's the matchup that I really want to watch is like what can Texas can Texas keep Charlie Brewer from getting comfortable because that's been I think the struggle Charlie Brewer and really any quarterback if they can stand in the pocket and survey the scene for long enough the receivers are going to get open and they're going to pick you apart so can Texas generate some pressure can Texas generate a pass rush can Joseph Osai finally stop flirting with it and tackle a guy like and not that he didn't have tackles but you know the, he's he's like 
He is the most near sack player. Like if you count in <laughs> near sacks, Joseph Osa would probably lead the country. And so like, will he quit flirting with it and actually get to the quarterback? Like can some of these other can, can, um, can Chris Ash dial up some more pressure and dial up some more, some more situational calls that will free up the best player. Cause again, I think the best play we saw against OU was where Texas kind of ran a slant with a twist and Osa and everybody kind of slanted down. And then Osa kind of came around and, and found the gap in the offensive line and created some havoc in the backfield. And so um, I think that to me, like if he can create some looks, that allow his best player to get because it's there. I don't think anybody's going to argue that Joseph Osai is the best player on this defense. Maybe Caden Stearns if he could stay healthy, but really, yeah. like from a consistency standpoint and from like a guys that the NFL is salivating at, it's Joseph Osai. And so yeah. um, that's something that I'm going to I'm really watching this game is can Joseph Osai and this Texas pass rush keep Charlie Brewer from getting comfortable because. Charlie Brewer is a guy who's shown that he can make, he'll make some mistakes when you get him kind of having to improvise when he has to throw on the run. Again, he had two interceptions against West Virginia, which has a very, very potent pass rush. So like that to me, I think is going to be the story of the day for the, the Texas defense against Charlie Brewer. And I think for sure that's the Charlie Brewer component. I think when you look at the rest of Baylor's offense and their running backs, who have actually been pretty good catching the ball as well, a, a good chunk of their offense has come from their, their backfield so far. You think back to the OU game again, and Texas actually wasn't horrendous against the run outside of some big plays that they gave up, right? There was, out of the 55 carries that OU attempted against them, four runs, uh, all of them obviously over 20 yards, but four runs accounted for all half of OU's rushing. Um, so busted plays, big plays that they let guys go, um, and, and that hurt them a ton. I'm not saying Texas run defense was perfect otherwise, but they were good otherwise. And so, um, you know, you have probably not a, a single... Um, you, you, this guy keeps Mac Brown up at night. He's scared to death, uh, running back, but you know, you have a pretty good stable and, and Hey, OU didn't really have a guy either. And, and their closest thing to a guy didn't play against Texas, um, in, in went over hundred yards. So, uh, you know, you have a combination of John Lovett, uh, Tristan Ebner and probably Craig Williams has got some carries in there too. Um, but probably Lovett and Ebner being the, the, uh, majority of what Texas is going to see. Um, I think that Texas has the talent, and this is where we talked about Osai. Now I want to talk about the other defensive linemen. Um, this is where, you know, all right, Snacks, you know, Coburn and, and, and Big Buffet, uh, Mr. T- TQ, um, and uh, anyone who's rotating in on that line, whether it's Ojimo or whoever, like, let's prove something. Like, this is a chance for a game where, again, if you're more talented than their offensive line and their running backs are less talented than, you know, maybe some you've seen this year. I, I don't think they're bad. Don't don't hear me wrong. But, like, let's prove something. I'd love, like, a nice hold them to, you know, less than three yards a carry once this game is done uh, type of game from this defensive line. So I think a lot comes to our defense just making the plays, and that is not necessarily different than anything they've seen all year, right? That's that's not anything new. They should be the more talented unit, and they have to make the plays. So let's see if they can actually do that and in regulation uh, and for all four quarters. Yeah, I think that Texas has an opportunity to, to flip the narrative a little bit uh, because I think Baylor has some backs, but I don't necessarily know if they've got the if the if the running attack is as good as the numbers look. I'll say it like that. I don't know if the running attack is as good as the numbers look. They have paced the offense quite a bit um, in some matchups, but I don't necessarily think, you know, I, I don't think that even, I think OU's fourth string running back is probably on the level of a Baylor start. I'm just going to be really honest with you. Like that, Fair. that to me is like John Lovett's good, but I think OU recruits better. Shocker to anybody? And, no. And, and, and I think it's important when you look at their numbers too, right? Because I'm trying to be – friendly to them right like West Virginia has a very good defensive line I'd like to think Texas and West Virginia have the two best lines I'd like for Texas to prove me right with that so come on you guys I'm really talking you up but Baylor against Kansas they got up big they ran the ball they had 160 yards rushing um on eight eight and a half yards per carry uh Baylor against West Virginia 33 rushes for 27 yards. Now, again, a lot of that is negative yardage for sacks, but even still, you look at Lovett, their number one running back, 14 for 23, average 1.6. Ebner came in, average 1.5. Uh, they even had another guy get two for three. They, their three uh, backs with stated carries all averaged 1.5 yards per carry. So, uh, again, I'm not saying that Baylor has world beaters. I'm not saying there's no talent there, but Texas should have a much better line 
the running backs they've seen so far in the season should be as good or better than what they're going to see uh, on Saturday. And so, again, that's why I say this is a chance to eat. This is a chance to pin your ears back, try to get Brewer, you know, and if a running back comes, just swat him away, right? This. Do what the stills do. That's that's a good idea. The West Virginia, you don't want to emulate very much about that entire state or that uh, team. But uh, one thing you want to do is is uh, look what their 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 kind of NFL ready defensive linemen are doing and, and, and do some of that. This is kind of the analysis that you can't get anywhere else. Play like the two of the best defenders of the conference, potentially the country. That's 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 the analysis we're here for. It's like it. find out what the two best players, mm-hmm. two of the best players in the conference are doing, and do that. No, so J- just wait till you hear my Sam Ellinger, uh, Jared uh, Dogie. I don't even remember how you say his last name. Wait till you hear Daggy. Wait till you hear that comparison. And, and I'm not even going to make the memes uh, like the, the DOG dog memes of the early 2000s. I'm not even going there. Just straight up player for play. I'm kidding, obviously. But uh, let's keep it rolling. I think the, the defensive line will have a lot to say about this game as it has in, in several years. And I also think um, this might be a game where you see Court Jaquis with the start uh, at that linebacker position, just because I think he's probably one of the more sure run defenders in this group. I think, you know, Overshone has some room to grow. He's he's grown quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and then I think Jawan Mitchell, again, still has some room to go, grow in the run game. Uh, we got a text from our friend who covers the NFL that said Texas needs to get rid of that guy number six for whatever he did on that red zone play. Um, <laughs> so, like, he's got some room to grow in the run defense. But I really think, you know, Snacks Coburn and that group in the in, along the offensive line will have a lot to say about how this works out simply because can they do what they haven't done for the last two games, which is reset the line of scrimmage a yard and a half? Can they reset the yard of scrimmage a line and a, a yard and a half back? And if they can do that, then I think Texas wins this game pretty handily. So I think if they can do that, then Baylor's offense doesn't get going. And I will talk about this in a minute. I don't think Baylor's defense has the horses to run with Texas this year. And so that to me is, is the thing that we really want to take a look at uh, as this thing rolls forward. We have to also talk about the the wide receiver room. It's been a strength for Baylor for a long time. But again, through two games, we haven't really seen a ton of guys separate. Really the two that jump off the page. Uh, RJ Snead, 11 receptions for 99 yards and a score. And then Josh Fleeks has seven receptions for 63 yards and a score. Now, his long, he has one long reception uh, of 35, uh, 34 yards. So he has really six catches for 35 yards. So, and then... <laughs> One thirty-four yard catch, but uh, that that um, you know, with Denzel Mims gone, they haven't found the guy, and we knew that was going to be a situation because Denzel Mims is a Sunday's guy, and it's hard to replace Sunday's guys. But again, it's only been two games, but I I, I figured, especially playing Kansas as your opener, like that's that's a game where you kind of figure out who your guys are, and they don't. I don't think they have. That's why I said I think that their running backs have done pretty well in the passing game, um, and that feels like it's been a necessity, not necessarily design, um, just because they, they could get the ball out to them in some space and, and do some things there. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, you look at a game that went six quarters, right, two overtimes, um, and, and, you know, Baylor's top receivers, top three receivers all had under 50 yards uh, receiving no no player over 50 yards so I mean it's just not they don't have a guy and that doesn't mean they can't be you know death by a thousand paper cuts and still be a, a decent unit again they have I think four players with with you know at least three receptions in that game so I mean they're, they're spreading the ball around a little bit but um, when we talk about Brewer I think again you talk about this receiving core and and, and they will uh, lift each other up because I don't think either is elite. And so if they come in and they're locked in and, hey, we're playing Texas, Texas didn't offer us, we want to get up for this game and they're going to, someone's going to show out. But I, again, just from a talent level and what we've seen so far, again, small sample size, um, I don't think there's anything that scares me. And, and, and that's only to say because in the Big 12, uh, a conference that has, you know, think in in the past four years when Sam Ellinger spent on campus and the receivers he has to watch other quarterbacks throw to, just some absolute monsters when you think about Tylen Wallace and Jalen Rager and CeeDee Lamb um, and, and Denzel Mims, you can put him in there. And, and 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 the list could go on and on and on in 12 and 13 and 15 deep of just monsterish guys. And, and so in a conference that puts those types of expectations up, I don't think there's that guy for Baylor yet for this year. We'll see. They could develop it or it could be a guy who's, you know, we had – uh, our, our, our Daily Bears folks come in and preview some players they're excited about in the future in the pipeline. But right now, I don't know if we've seen that. I think this is going to be a game where, where Texas can, can figure out what its narrative is going to be on defense. And I think 
for the last couple of weeks, and we and we've been uh, we've taken some heat from from certain pockets of fandoms from our school and other schools um, about saying this. I think that the Texas defense is good enough to win them football games. And I think if Texas can come out and put up a number that will impress people, because again, people balk at like 30 points, right? It's, it's 2020 mm. guys. Like, let's think about that. If Texas can put up a decent number and hold them to, to three scores or, you know, 24 points, right? I think people will finally sit up and take notice that I think the de- I think the defense has started to turn the corner that the offense hasn't quite figured out yet. Um, and so I think this is going to be, I think this could be, has a potential, I won't say will be, but has the potential to be a statement game for the Texas defense. They can come out and they can shut down a Baylor offense that has plagued Texas in recent years. Charlie Brewer has plagued Texas in recent years. If they can do that, then I think fans will start to see the strides that the defense has actually made to improve year over year. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. And I think Kansas, Baylor, uh, you're not going to get too many easy. I don't want to say easy, but too many chances that are more suited to that exact statement, that exact step up than than they'll get handed to them this week. So moving on to the the offense Texas offense against the Baylor defense. So the Baylor defense, the again, it's hard to it's hard to extrapolate much based off of such a small sample size uh, because they they only gave up 14 points against Kansas. So they're giving up an average of 20 points per game, which means they gave up a bunch of points against. <laughs> West Virginia, uh, 336 yards per game, 4.3 yards per play. Uh, defensively, 151 rushing yards, 185 through the air. They've been a bit of sack artists in these two matchups. Six sacks, two fumble recoveries. I think they have like seven, six or seven forced fumbles recovered two, uh, and then two interceptions. So the Baylor defense, they may not be good, but they're ball hawking something fierce. And I think that um, with Texas's recent turnover struggles, Gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, again, a sample size of two and one of those is Kansas. They had four of their six sacks against Kansas. Um, you, you know, that, that was not a, a, a great game for Jalen Daniels, the, the Kansas quarterback, and we'll talk more in our Kansas preview. But um, I, I do think it's a good defense. Again, I think probably they're a better defensive unit than offensive unit. You have Dave Aranda as a head coach who's, you know, working with Matt Rule's players. You have two defensive guys, right? That Matt Rule rebuilt Baylor and all the credit to him rebuilt Baylor basically on a defensive identity from, you know, a zero win team to, to a 10 win team on setting up a really good defense in the big 12, which is hard to do. Um, they, also, Matt Rule somehow uh, won it on having, you know, uh, a rabbit's foot, a pot of gold, a leprechaun and, and rainbows and sunshine and all things magic in his pocket. Because somehow they pulled out in his whole time at Baylor, like 80 percent of their wins were just, you know, last second ball went their way wins. But so good for them. Right. You know, he, he maximized um, what he had there. I think part of his reason to leave was that he realized the cupboard wasn't quite as, as stocked this year. So Dave Aranda has had an unbelievably tough um job as a first-year coach without COVID. Throw that on top of it, and oh my gosh. But um, And Herman talked about it in his presser because he's good friends with Aranda, but just how unbelievable um, you know, it would be to be a first-year head coach during all of this. But Aranda came from LSU. He's seasoned. He's seen. He knows football. He knows defense, right? He's He's been one of the most sought-after defensive coordinators. That doesn't always translate to you being a great head coach, right? I think we saw that with Charlie Strong. You've seen that with Will Muschamp to some extent. The kudos to him on getting his win this week uh, or last week. But um, yeah, I, I do think that Aranda's going to have this defense ready and they're, they're going to want to be coming for for the horns I think again and maybe even more so than the defense this is a talent wise uh Texas hugely favorited um this should be a a time for Sam to want to you know write some things take the off week to write some things to get the offense this is your chance with that bye week to say okay here's what we didn't do against OU here's what we need to correct here's the throws that Sam was missing why are you missing those where's the rhythm you know do we need to go tempo like I think they're going to come out with a game plan and, and OU's already passed you. You have Oklahoma state on the horizon, but like any trick, any, 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 you know, ace up your sleeve, you're playing them. You're, you're coming out and you're unloading and you're firing. And I think that Baylor defense is sound. I think they're, they're, you know, good. It isn't like West Virginia scored a hundred points on them. Um, but you know, they, they, they held a, a Kansas team, which isn't, great and they held a you know a West Virginia team which isn't an offensive powerhouse I think Texas will be exponentially the best offense that they've seen all year but again they're going to try to 
get to the ball and take it away because that helps both their offense, which is underpowered compared to Texas, and their defense, which, again, isn't going to have the star recruits and, and, and star talent out of high school that Texas might have. But you saw them turn a three-star last year in Lynch into you know one of the best pass rushers in the country. They, they, they could do that. They know how to do that. They've had years of, of doing that. At this point, you have to give Baylor credit as being a school who prides themselves on that. So they're going to be sound. They're going to come out and they're going to they're going to throw everything they have to try to beat Texas. I think having Sam and having you know some playmakers. I, I do want to talk about the run game a little bit. We can get to that. I, I'm hoping Texas is is able to you know balance a little bit so it isn't like OU where Sam is just throwing. 40 times in a row with, with no runs past the line of scrimmage uh, to running backs in, you know, a quarter and a half or two quarters. But um, I do think that that the way these match up, um, it feels like a, they're going to try to be a TCU unit without quite the, the you know, Gary Patterson established uh, magic and, and probably even without the cohesion and, and, and talent that's on that TCU unit. So um, good, I think, the defense that Texas will face, but not necessarily a top five unit in the Big 12, in my opinion. Could could prove me wrong, for sure. Small sample size, but in, in, in my gut, I don't think so. No, and again, I think this is this is a game where if Texas needs one to win, like if there if there's low hanging fruit on the schedule, this is one of them. I think for Texas, especially offensively, like if the Texas offense can get rolling early, I think they'll be able to generate. Uh, this this is one of those games where uh, you know you call them get right games where you, you just you gotta you gotta mm-hmm. get right, and I think Baylor as they have in years past provides you one of those opportunities, and so I think offensively. Ellinger has the potential to have a big game and to get things right and kind of get, I think Sam's in his head a little bit at this point. I think Sam is trying to win too hard for his head coach, a head coach he loves. And so I think maybe Sam's in his own head. So this allows you to get out of your own head a little bit. I think again, running the running backs, I think Texas needs to figure out who the running back is going to be. And Baylor has given up some yards on the ground, Kyle, Mm -hmm. 151 Mm -hmm. averaging per game. Again, that is a two game average. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of meat on the bone for the ground game for Texas as they headed and try to establish uh, some sort of identity offensively. <laughs> what is it? Five games into the season. A weird time to do that. Right. But again, we didn't have a spring. So I guess, uh, you know, I guess that's fine. But yes, yeah, it's, it's uh Texas fifth game. Uh, there's, there's six kind of remaining. So we'll call it something like the midway point uh, of the season here. So great. You didn't get it in the first half of the season. Um, by the end of this game, when you've got five done and five to look forward to, you better hope you have something of an identity. You know, the, you're you're at the mountaintop; it's all downhill. Um, get it rolling, you know. So this is this is a good time to do that, and I, I definitely think um, you continue to see. I don't think it's a fluke. I think you will see a Texas kind of balanced diet where you get equal parts Keontae, equal parts Roshan, and and equal parts uh, Bijan. Maybe not equal, but he will get some as well. Again, assuming everyone healthy and ready to go. Um, I, I think all three of those guys will go, but I, I, I would like to see this be the game where someone takes it over and it's like, hang on, hang on young bucks. This is uh this is Roshan's game. He's, he's eaten out there or, you know what? Keontae has been working on his ball security issues and is just got something to prove out there. And he's just, just dragging people, but also keeping the ball, you know, nice and secure. So I, I could see it being a, a one guy takes over, but I really think that this is going to be a, a three headed monster that, you know, it'll be a, another one of those games where we look back at it and we look at the combined rushing yardage across the backs, as opposed to anyone. I could be wrong, but I think they're going to get a lot of, a lot of all three against that Baylor defense um, and, and use your depth, right? A place where you have it, three guys who could play in the big 12, use that depth you know pound them sprint them out run wheel routes like don't worry about tiring them out you got three guys who can go and uh, I don't know that Baylor necessarily has three or four guys at linebacker who can go they have some talent up top I I think um, you know you look at their leading tackler Terrell Bernard is a very good linebacker but I don't know that they have four of those right so send running backs run those guys around run at them run over them and uh, I I think again this is where your top tier talent but also your your depth that you should hopefully have and and that's not even talking about Texas receivers uh, as well which we talked about depth being the main thing that they have just a lot of different bodies Um, I I think Texas has a chance to to strike early and then just kind of wear them out and just keep hopefully the foot on the pedal. And I think this is an opportunity for um, Texas to, to look at different, look at different sets and to play some 12 personnel and get a couple of different tight ends on the field. I think um, 
operating at a level, getting getting the tight ends involved early, I think would be an advantage in this game because again, those guys are massive, and, and Bernard is an is, is actually a really good pass covering linebacker, but matching him up either against Jake Smith, who's fast, or Jared Wiley, who's huge, there's a there's a disadvantage there. And so I'm I'm interested to see what if the offense particularly schemes to try to to try to get in um get get not get in his head early, but kind of get an opportunity to exploit what should be personnel mismatches for Texas. Because again, Bernard has played Let's just be real. Not two of the not great quarterbacks in the conference and looked real good against them. So what happens when Sam Ellinger, who has struggled lately, but still can't deny that he is one of the better quarterbacks in the conference has an opportunity to come out and lace it up. Absolutely. And, 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 and I do think that, you know, I do think that the interceptions are going to be something to keep an eye on. I want Sam to end his, his uh, streak of, of, of giving the ball away and, and Baylor is going to look to do that. But I do think, you know, there's a chance to take advantage of that Think back to the Oklahoma play, the best throw, the best passing, you know, play that we saw from Sam Ellinger uh, was to Tark black. It was, you know, about a 25 yard throw where he pump faked and looked a guy off to leave him wide open and then threw a strike uh, from the, you know, the center of the field outside the hash to black um, right in, right in the money. Right. And Sam had missed some throws before that. And, and it seemed to kind of, kind of get him a little bit of rhythm, at least where, you know, he felt confident, you know, if you have guys who are trying to uh, make hero plays, that means that there's a chance that they bite, that there's a chance that, you know, a slant and go route is six, right. That, that Josh Moore uh, is able to get one and a guy doesn't have the angle and just run right. Or, or, you know, any of those uh, very fast receivers that they have, um, you know, I, I think if they're looking for sacks and they're hunting for the ball and they're sending guys, man, that's where I talked about sneak one of those little, you know, uh, Bijan uh, or, or, Keontae, you know, backs, I'd, I'd like Bijan or, or maybe Roshan more for their, their potential downfield speed, but sneak them out, you know, with a little delayed wheel out there and, and let them get some space and just go, you know, I, I, I'm, I think there are ways and I'm not, I'm near, I'm not anywhere near as smart about offensive football as Mike Yersich is. And I have some ideas on what could work. So I can only imagine that he has quite a few. And again, I think, you know, you can take advantage of any tendencies that you see from, you know, an aggressive Baylor defense. All right, Kyle. So now's the time to make our predictions. You have a commanding, I believe it's, uh, it's what four to negative one at this point. I think so. I think so, Gerald. At this point, so again to remind to remind everybody what we do here uh, for Podstradamus. Kyle and I can make one to two predictions each and every week. We get a point for a correct prediction. We lose a point for an incorrect prediction. So I am net negative one on the year. Kyle is a net. I think I might. It might be three to negative one, Gerald. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to say it's only a four point spread because I want to keep it interesting as well. You know, you're my bud. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep the foot uh on the neck here. Let's let's call it three to one gentleman's handshake. And I'm gonna go for two this week to give you a chance. If I bomb both of these, that's obviously minus two for me. You get two of yours. All of a sudden we're looking at a tie game here, Gerald. This is still anybody's that ball is, game. You know? That's how the math would work. That's that's math and we're both journalism majors, so someone check us on that. But I, I think that's how it works. Um so I'm gonna go with uh, with my first one here, and how about this? Instead of going two and two, let's let's go onesie onesie. Um, just because I hate you always have to wait and hear mine, and maybe you have to change because you're like, wow, he did so good, his pick. I wish I could have done that. So I'll we'll go we'll go one each. So I'm gonna start with with a guy we talk a lot about because it's a Texas football podcast, but Mr. Sam Ellinger, right? So for the past two uh, games that Texas lost against you know good defensive uh, minded coaches in, in in TCU and and Grinch it, it OU. Um, they were able to exploit, expose, get in the head of, I don't know, but they were able to create some accuracy issues for Sam. That came from pressure, came from him just missing some throws. I don't think you and I talking about in the podcast is the first that anyone uh, associated with Texas football has noticed uh, this. Thanks for listening, coaches. But um, I'm sure it's been worked on. 47% against TCU, 56 or 57% in most of that coming, uh, you know, towards the end when he got more accurate in, in, in as I call it, Sam winning time. Um, but total 53% completions over the past two losses. I think that Sam makes a point 
to get better about that. I think if they want to win, they have to prioritize and get better about that. So my prediction is that Sam is going to have over 60% completion percentage this week. Okay. All right. I like it. I like it. So you went offense first. I'm going to go defense first. So I'm going to go defense first. I think Texas turns Baylor over twice in this contest. Texas has been fairly consistent in turning opponents over uh, throughout the season. Baylor in their two games has, uh, has thrown two interceptions and I believe they've lost a couple of fumbles as well. Um, So, or they've lost a fumble. So, I think that Texas turns Baylor over twice. All right. I like that. Um, play the game of taking the ball away from a team that, you know, likes to take the ball away. I like where your head's at. So I'll go defense here as well. Um, another thing looking back, it kind of passed, right? It, OU, unfortunately, um, was able to put a guy who not a lot of people knew coming into the game, but at 131 yards against the Longhorns. Uh TCU did it a bit more collectively with two runners over 65 yards um, to get to their massive 227 yards rushing. Um, then you go back to Sir Roderick Thompson at Tech. He got a lot of it with a, with the end of the game run, but stats are, are stats for a reason. They are they are static, um, and that is a truth that he had over 100 yards. So that, um, again, two out of the past three games over 100 yards, and uh, in that one they didn't. They gave up over 200 as a team. So what I'm going to say is that Texas does not allow a 100-yard rusher. And, Gerald, if you want me to sweeten the, 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 the pot – I might even be willing to go as a, a half here contingency that they don't even give up, a, let's say, 150 total uh, rushing to the Baylor Bears. So I'm, I'm going a little bit off the beaten path, Kyle. Going a little bit off the beaten path for this one. And I am putting my faith in one of the most dynamic playmakers on the field for the Texas Longhorns named Deshaun Jameson. Baylor is averaging 37 yards per punt return so they're giving up an average of 37 yards per punt return on the season so i i believe deshaun jameson's gonna crack off a big one i don't know if he's gonna score but i think deshaun jameson has at least a punt return of 40 or more yards in this game all right, I like that. That's bold. I like it. He's he's been he's been spicy this season, whether they've counted or 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 not. Uh, the one against OU comes to mind, but he's looked dangerous every time he's he's touched the ball, um, and only once. If he touches it twice, it's not good. We don't need to relive the tech no, game. But I like where your head's at. You know, I'll give him a shout out. He loves this good friend of the pod. Eric Verbit has been asking, uh, "Hey, Longhorn Republic." Can y'all address why Deshaun Jameson doesn't get some run at wide receiver? He seems like one of our most dynamic players, and we've you know been putting Kai Money a walk on in there. And we could talk about that if you want, Gerald. If just briefly, I'll, I'll say my thought is is he, they they want him to contribute. They have depth at receiver. They want him to contribute at uh, at cornerback. You know, and 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 I think the, the big thing is is they want him to be fresh and ready to make their special teams a, a game changing unit. I think is the biggest thing is they keep him uh, they keep him there. You know, if you're playing him both ways at times, you, you know, I, I'm not saying he wouldn't be good at receiver. I just think, you know, his benefit right now with where the, the, the depth of the team lies is probably there. I'll, I'll try to make this an accounting type conversation because that's, <laughs> that's Vervet's day job. But like when you, when you look at where your assets are best used, I think Deshaun, Deshaun gives you the most return on your investment playing cornerback and returning rather than, playing at wide receiver just based upon the other assets that are available for Texas at those positions. So I think when you look at where Texas wants to allocate its dollars, when you're looking at the general ledger of where the football team is, I think the biggest return on investment you get from that guy is at cornerback and at returner, where again, he is one of the most dynamic athletes on the field, but I think Texas has a ton of dynamic athletes at receiver and they need uh, someone to be a dynamic playmaker at corner. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think the EBITDA um, checks out on your formula there, your your equation on the ROI and the adjusted gross in- income of the you know uh, asset test ratio. Really, um, you know the accruals of what you're talking about is an overall audit of your answer checkup. Um, I don't think there was any bad debt on your cash flows or your your balance 
challenge. I'm, I'm literally Googling words here as I go. I, I did uh, business foundations accounting, so I'm pretty deep in here. But so there you go, Verbi. You not only got an answer directed to you, but you got about 30 accounting terms thrown uh, at you. So I'm sure it's a very happy day. And for all our accountants who listen, congratulations. And feel free to tweet at us about how awful uh, Gerald and I actually used actual accounting terms. We're pretty confident with our football, but not at all with our accounting terminology. <laughs> My sister is the accountant, and I am the disappointment, is what we'll go ahead and say. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so, Gerald, let's do a quick uh, a quick burn orange lens. It's not a ton to hammer home. Um, this week we did kind of move some stuff around with the NFL Longhorns going to the Tuesday show. Um, I, the the kind of first one that's most relevant to football, it doesn't – we talked a lot about Kansas this week uh, with our Baylor preview, and we talked about it on the Monday show. But if you didn't catch that, just as an FYI, in a couple weeks when Texas plays Kansas, they will be without by far their best and most uh, dynamic threat. Puka Williams has opted out of the season, deciding to be closer to family. Um, I think, Gerald, our, our line on that has always been you never fault a guy for, for putting family first or, or, or making a business decision, which probably factor the two greatest in this decision for him. I would be really honest with you. If I'm playing football and not getting compensated and I have an option to not play for Kansas anymore and get ready for the draft. I'm going to choose that one. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely not wrong. Tom Herman even talked about it in one of his early pressers when he talked about the running backs, both of the injury issues last year and spreading the balls around this year. And how is how do you recruit the number one back in Bijan when you know you have two backs you want to use and you, you, you have to be honest that he's going to share the ball? Herman was transparent and said, my pitch to guys is, look, as a running back, you have a shelf life more than any position of lifetime hits that you're going to take. Why not spend most of those lifetime hits that you're going to take at the NFL level getting paid the highest dollar for them? So come to Texas, have some great highlight plays, but have it shared around with other guys so you're not getting 40 carries a game. Um, And then go to the next level and shine on Sundays and get paid to take those hits, which I think is actually a really good way to think about it and to put it. Um, And that makes a lot of sense. And so for Puka, who's taken a lot of hits already, but done a lot for that Kansas program in, in, you know, one of the darkest stretches in in school history, it's it's getting better with less there, but it's still obviously not good. Um, You can't be mad. Can you say it's getting better? Puka believes in the direction, according to his tweet, (laughs) but uh, it looks like the school made that graphic for him. So maybe he doesn't. Uh, you know, you're, you're, it's, a, it's a fair point, but let's just say in the UT game last year, it looked like their offense was going the correct direction. Uh, there's some caveats to that, but yeah, they, they look good against us last year. Uh, moving on to, st- to stave off the tears. That's exactly right. Uh, just one more uh, note, and this is one I missed, and I, I, I will put it on myself. I, I meant to put this in the show notes a couple weeks ago um, and totally missed it, but uh, or from last week's show, but um, women's uh, basketball alum, Ariel Atkins was named to her third consecutive all WNBA defensive team. Just a fantastic stat. I would feel like a, 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 a chauvinist if I didn't call out our professional basketball player making for the third straight year an all uh, league team. So uh, absolutely congratulations to Ariel Atkins, who three years in the league has made the team three times, uh, was a top 10 pick and is proving her worth um, just incredibly proud and uh you know even though she got knocked out in the playoffs didn't win the championship back-to-back years i'm sure there's plenty more in that career to be to be cheering for yeah she was one of those glue players of texas when she she was like when when she was on the team was on and i think it, it shows that uh that production is continuing to the next level yeah absolutely i think she was third in the nba in steals this year so very good for her gerald let's move it on now to our final segment this week the uh, godzilla tron formerly known as Godzilla Tron. We look at the uh, things we're watching on our giant screens at home, much as we watch in the south end zone of DKR. What do you watch, Gerald? Uh, so I polished off the, the finale to Lovecraft Country this week. Um, controversial opinion. I was kind of disappointed in the direction it went. It's a sci-fi horror show, so like you suspend disbelief, but when you defy the, the logic of your own show where you're defying logic... Um, <laughs> just doesn't work for me so i was a little disappointed by that especially somebody who really loved the book um they're looking to make other seasons don't know how but again i'm not a creative person in that well and then i have been going back through watching a a show that's like when you talk about the the prestige shows on on hbo this one often gets overlooked but deadwood i've been watching i've been watching through deadwood again it's it is i'm gonna go and say this this is one that like 
don't watch with kids like within six miles of your home. Um, <laughs> they so um, it's it literally takes place in like a town without laws and in, in, in the unincorporated uh, North American territories. And so, um, but but Timothy Oliphant is one of my favorite actors, especially when you give him an accent and a cowboy hat. Uh, I'm all in. And so we've also been watching The Chef Show is back on uh netflix so if you don't know what the chef show is um it's it's a traveling cooking show with john favreau after he made made the movie chef which by the way if you haven't seen chef go watch it chef is good um but the first episode is at momofoku milk bar where they do like baked goods and um ice cream and all of that and it's just uh, i picked up i'm I, my wife is a baker and she's a very avid baker and she picked up some baking tips like oh i should do that this is how this my layers are always uneven on my cakes so and then they were like here's how you make perfectly even layers like okay perfect so now uh we've got better layer cakes going on in the goodrich household so uh if you're into it it's like an offbeat cooking show like it's not like your typical but they they it's the personalities are great you get to see kind of um behind the scenes at some really cool restaurants and, and again it's just it's a fun watch uh so if you if you're into that type of thing check out the chef show on netflix the chef show is is amazing i i love uh I love Favreau. I think he's he's great. I loved that movie that you know, the origin story was basically based off of. Um, Gerald, I have to ask: Did you watch? Have you seen the one of, a couple seasons ago? I think um, where they went to Skywalker Ranch. Yes, I did. Yes, okay, because yes. I watched that and I was basically like, I the nerdiest person I know who would love this the most is Gerald. So I'm glad to to know that you have seen that. And I can't give you a recommendation, sadly, but I'm sure you you enjoyed that. But it is just really good. Favreau is is a great um presenter. Roy Choi is is just a, a genius and um the one you referenced specifically is, is the Christine Tosi it it um uh, milk bar is amazing. I actually drew um in the beginning of quarantine went through like a really heavy baking phase. And if you would have lived in Houston, Gerald, um we would have sent you um the the actual milk bar cake. Drew basically hacked the I think they offer it but cracked the recipe and made a unbelievably stellar you know replica version uh of the their their funfetti kind of birthday cake that was amazing but that's um this is not the segment of the show where I just toot my my wife's horn but she's you know good at all things much like your wife they're they're way better than each of us we we out kicked our coverage to bring it back to football terms Slumming it up. God bless their soul. <laughs> uh, but all right, to keep it back to the 1800s where you went Deadwood, I think is 1870s time uh, line. I, I went 1890s-ish, I think, is when Peaky Blinders kicks off, or maybe the early 1900s. No, maybe it's right around World War One. So anyways, um, but uh, you know, long time ago, uh, I started a show. I'm not sure if I've talked about it here on the on the podcast yet, but started Peaky Blinders. Um, also, probably not one you watch with the kids, let's be honest, but uh, um, also one you probably watch with subtitles because there's some accent work going on. It's pretty good. Um, wife has not been especially into it, so it may morph into a, a, a Kyle show, which uh, ironically Deadwood was as well, so I may be watching this one solo, but I'm about, I think I just finished the first season um, and, and I like it quite a bit. I'm ready to dive into it, but she hasn't been um so so great on it so the other thing i've been watching which is less uh prestige i guess more um scripted is is this show i think it's called making it and when you said deadwood it made me think of um nick offerman dick duke silver um uh who uh you know uh played ron swanson in in parks and rec he hosts a show with uh leslie nope from from parks and rec uh who uh they do non they're just friends from that show and they said let's make another show it's called making it and it's like a crafting thing offerman has you know been known to be a great craftsman but it's like a great british bake-off meets arts and crafts and i'll say this i was okay i'll i'll try it my wife was actually very excited i think parks and rec is if not her favorite it's in her very like top three of shows so she was very eager to watch it and and one episode was enough for both of us to be like nope don't want to invest it just the magic doesn't work and this is what we we both kind of walked away saying is for the time i spent watching that if i would have just picked two random episodes of uh parks and rec could be anyone's could be a greg pakaitis episode could be a uh you know the when the venezuelan uh parks department comes to pawnee it could be any of the amazing episodes of that show it would have been an hour or 45 minutes whatever better spent so this is my call to action to all of you if any of you are sitting here listening to this very podcast and have never seen parks and recreation clearly a top 10 all-time show top two 
one maybe comedy ever made just so so good hot take better than the office in my opinion um watch it don't necessarily watch their new show but watch that show um and then i give one final plug here the other thing i've been watching gerald is some local news i've watched a little local fox watched a little local abc and the reason i've done that is we have a good friend um shout out to her i believe at april praise on instagram she's released the the school year fall i guess uh most viral song her her uh her i believe music handle is coolest teacher in the land she's a uh a school music teacher and she knew coming back to in-person classes that kids weren't gonna wear their masks because they're kids and their masks um and so she said i need to make this cool and so uh my wife actually helped shoot the music video which is going viral and she's been on local news giving interviews about it and uh it's trying to make it cool to wear a mask and she gave an interview and said i first made it for kids and then i realized this probably needed to be cool enough for adults to get them to wear masks too um and it is very 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 catchy so coolest teacher in the land um all the cool kids wear masks is the song that y'all want to be adding to your summer, I guess now fall playlist. And if you have kids, uh, let them watch the video, especially if you're in the Houston area, a lot of great Houston iconic uh, backgrounds of the music video, but a, a song that will be an earworm will get stuck in your head. So I've been watching that on the local news is how I'm tying it in the segment, but also giving a shout out uh, to someone who's who put a lot of hard work in and, and made something cool. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to look it up as soon as we get done here because I'm a professional and don't watch other things while we're podcasting. <laughs> um, it's sad to hear about making it. I was, that was something I was going to pick up, but I guess it's not. And, and to your air quotes, hot take about, about parks and rec being better than the office. I am hundred percent in alignment with you as well on that. I would take, um, d- just skip season one of, of parks and rec. That's, that's a controversial opinion. I think your wife disagrees, yeah. um, but skip season one of parks and rec and jump into season two. Cause literally you don't need to know anything from that season other than Andy lives in a hole. That's fair. There's there's some good things from it, but yeah, if you just want to see the best of the best, let it. You know, you can season two and on. You'll you'll get enough that you need. It'll be great. But don't let me say I, this isn't an office slander podcast. I actually like the office as well. I just like Parks better. Fair. No, I'm I'm with you there. I, as somebody who's seen all of both shows, my preference is Pawnee, and that's all we've got for you. This week, Kyle, where can good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter at GH Gooder. Follow show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. You can catch me on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. We're talking Spider Man stuff. What's going to be going on with Spider Verse and what does that mean for the future of the MCU? Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Baylor putting the K in sickle.